Hello everyone and welcome to the I'm Still a Mormon show hosted by me. Today I'm going to talk about one of my favorite, favorite topics in uh, the church uh, and that is church culture. That's right, church culture. I've often said to people, the gospel is true, the church culture is kind of jacked up and needs to be changed. And my perspective, being a longtime member, going on missions, being a bishop, being a family man, marriage, children, doing all the things that uh, LDS people do, all the things that are on their plate, the culture I feel, looking back at my age, at, at life, is really one of the biggest problems and issues that people struggle with in the church. In a nutshell, people, and I'll say this over and over again through all these podcasts, people need to figure out a healthy way to live the gospel uh, of Jesus Christ. And that's not the same for everybody. Let that sink in a little bit. I'll talk about it in detail. Today, we're talking about church culture. Let me start with one of my favorite examples of church culture. And again, this is part of the reason why I'm doing this anonymously, because I know what I'm saying typically is not traditional. I get it. I'm not asking you to believe me. I'm just trying to help people that might think a little bit out of the box, stay in the church uh, with our history, with our culture, and live the gospel in a healthy way that allows them to still go to church, feel good about themselves, participate, because there's room on all the pews, no matter where you're at on the covenant path, uh, there's a room and a spot for you in the church. A lot of people feel, because of our culture, if I'm not doing it all like uh, Sister Missy over here, then uh, I suck, there's something wrong with me, I'm half a person, I get a guilt trip, uh, I read some church history, and I leave. I mean, I, that's generalizing you know, to the extreme, but our culture is really bad sometimes. And that kind of depends on where you live as well. Um, I've lived in several states in Morador where the church is heavy. Again, uh, Idaho, Utah, Nevada, Arizona, those California, those areas, the church is very, very strong, strongest stakes. I've lived in a few of those states. I've seen the difference. The culture is different wherever you go. Uh, if you go to Hawaii, talk about a culture. They've got it right. They're pretty chill. Uh, they live the gospel in a way that's very, very healthy to them. Um, people from Utah might go there and go, okay, these people are just way too chill and they're not living the gospel because they're in a skirt instead of dress pants or they don't have a white shirt on or, you know, that kind of a thing. Culture. So one of my favorite examples of our culture is an apostle. We've all seen this. If you've watched any general conference, read any Enzyme articles, anything like that, apostle gets up and says to us something to the effect, I'm a special witness of Jesus Christ and shares their testimony. The culture of our church says, and not everybody, I'm generalizing, oh my gosh, he just told us he saw Jesus Christ. And, I, and I'm like, wait a second, when, when did he say that? He said he was a special witness of Jesus Christ. I didn't hear him say, I saw Jesus, he was, he was in our Thursday meeting. 
did not hear that. But our culture sometimes says that's what he means. And now, whether he's seen Jesus or not, that's not the issue per se. It's just how our culture takes things. Uh, the whole ministering program, don't get me started on that. I firmly believe, my opinion, when they came out with the ministering program, they tried to bring it down a few notches to say, listen, let's, let's make it almost easier so it will get done. The men kind of went to the women's side of things where you could send a letter, send a text, say hi in a hall, things that men were not allowed to do and counted as home teaching back in the day that they now can do. So they kind of made it easier in my view. The wards that I've been in since then have completely taken it to another level and said, no, what the brethren really mean is we don't do enough. We have to step it up. And I'm just like, what meeting were you in? I call that the church culture. If And we've seen this since literally Brigham Young days, okay, that if we have to or if we're asked to do something for some reason, right or wrong, I'm not saying if it's right or wrong, well, I am in a minute, but the members seem to take it to the extreme. And um, that's this whole new ministering thing. I think that's they've done that. I think that's a great example. The whole, I'm a special witness. Oh my gosh, he just said he saw Jesus. Isn't that cool? He didn't just say he saw Jesus. And that's the culture. Now, state conference. We've all been to state conference. And typically, if you think about a state conference, it goes about like this on Sunday. Okay, Sunday state conference. The, in, the invited mission president gets up and says, missionary work is the most important work. Go do more missionary work. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. We all feel guilty because we've not converted everybody within a square mile of our house. Then the temple president gets up and says, uh, the temple is the most important work that you can do in the church, and you all need to double and triple your temple activity. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Some of the people, our culture, in the room, are, you know, they're going to the church, the temple, excuse me, three times a week, and they're like, I got to go six times now? Oh my gosh, that's what he said. I'll be blessed. I'll be butch if I do it, which he promised me, which means I'm going to be cursed if I don't. Culture, okay? That's not what he meant. He's just saying, hey, the, rightfully so, he's the temple president, saying temple work is important. It's on his mind. Then the stake president gets up and tells his latest challenge to read something by Christmas or whatever, and everybody walks out of the room and goes, crap, I feel so guilty. I need to do more missionary work, more temple work, and read all the standard works in a week. That's our culture. Nobody on that stand said you have to walk out and do all those things. They all said, hey, temple works great. I'm reminding you of that. Reading the scriptures at Christmas is, I'm reminding you of that. Doing missionary work is great. I'm reminding you of that. But our culture says we have to go do it all. Then we don't because of, you know, life, jobs, careers, families, whatever you want to say. And we start feeling what? Guilty. We all start feeling a little guilty. And that's pretty much typically a Sunday session of state conference uh, where they say, here's all the things you need to do. 
and people walk out and say, they said I have to do all these things. No, they didn't. Culture. Another part of our culture, we have to move people, okay? I'm not making this up. I get a text not too long ago, and it was so-and-so wants us to move uh, them in like two days, super short notice, and I look at the address, and these, bless their hearts, new members are moving into a home that cost over a million dollars. Over a million dollars. And I'm looking at that and going, if you can afford a million dollar home, you can pay somebody to move you into that home and not have Elders Quorum do it. Now, is it wrong to have the Elders Quorum do it? No. But our culture says the Elders Quorum does it. It doesn't matter that I have a million dollars and I should be able to move myself. The culture says I get the Elders Quorum to do it. That's the only way. Uh, the Meals on Wheels program. You get a baby, that's two meals. You get a sickness, that's four meals. Uh, if you get something, that's a, a week and a half of meals. I'm not making this stuff up. We've all been there. We've all seen it. Bless my heart. Bless my wife's heart. One time she was asked to take some meals into a family who uh, was pregnant. And she was, uh, I, I'm hoping that she was having some kind of difficult time. Uh, but they asked her to take some meals into it. My wife was pregnant. It just seems like, okay, wait a second. That seems odd to me. Another time my wife uh, was asked to bring meals into someone who just had a baby. And the conversation went something like this. We've all seen it. We've all been there. It's our culture. Uh, sister so-and-so, we'd like you to bring meals into sister so-and-so. She just had her 14th child. She needs some help. And, and I apologize if I'm mocking. I, it sounds like I'm mocking. I'm not trying to, but I'm, that's just me. Um, so she needs some help. And by the way, uh, you need to bring extra food because her mother, her, her mother-in-law, three of her sisters from out of town, and four other adult women are staying there helping her. So if you could bring meals for all of them. And of course, I'm looking at my wife and going, if she's got five women helping her with her, her child, they can cook. What is the deal with this? It's just such a culture program. We're just, we move the people that go into a million dollar home. And I know that started with Brigham Young with the handcarts. We helped people move from the beginning of church days. I get that, but it's culture. And culture is not gospel. It's part of the gospel, helping, serving, I get that. But are we really asked to serve people by moving them into million dollar homes? Is that really the intent or is it, is it different? You decide. But the culture can really start messing uh, with us if we don't get a, an idea of the difference between culture and and gospel or doctrines or policies. For example, uh, going on missions. I went on a mission, not because I had to, uh, not because the bishop made me or asked me to go. It was something I wanted to do. Now, granted, I had four older brothers who went before me, so it was an easy choice. Not one time did my parents ask me to go on a mission or tell me I should go on a mission. Not one time did a bishop and we moved a lot, so and my parents were divorced, so they probably thought I wasn't going on a mission anyways. 
But I didn't have a bishop say, hey, we need to start uh, you uh, preparing to go on a mission. I had to find my bishop, seek him out, and say, hey, can I start my mission papers? So it was completely my choice. Now our culture, if you don't go on a mission, somehow you're bad. Somehow you are tainted. That is so far from the truth. It's our culture. Should every young man desired want to go on a mission? Absolutely. Is it a, for the most part, a good experience for these young men? Absolutely. But if they don't, should we treat them in any other way? Absolutely not. And I speak from experience. I've seen people as, you know, as a bishop, as a father, thing like that. people go on missions, come back, and I'm telling you, come back early and or not go at all and they are treated different in our church that's getting better but that's a culture thing and it needs to be a lot better and hopefully we'll we'll continue uh to do that when i was <laughs> another culture thing when i was bishop i love this phone call i get a phone call from a parent that says listen bishop my kid doesn't want to go to scout camp can you tell him he has to go to scout camp? And this is, this is mom. I'll write out a, a mother. And I said, I can't tell him he has to go to scout camp because, sister, he does not have to go to scout camp. Long, awkward pause. And she just was beside herself. She did not know. She did expect that. From, from Bishop Me, She expected me to go, absolutely, get him on the phone. I will tell him he has to go to scout camp. He doesn't have to go to scout camp. That's a culture thing. If little Timmy wants to stay home, work on his homework, play with it, whatever little Timmy wants to do, there's nothing wrapped in the gospel with the scouting program. Is the scouting program good for those who like it? Absolutely. If you were like me who did not like scouting, it was just a pain in the butt, and I went and got a job so I didn't have to do scouting. Problem solved. But culture, that's, that's what that is. And uh, I hope I taught the parents something. And, and when the bishop said, no, he does not have to go to scout camp, I hope that they looked at that uh, a little different. And then, quite frankly, I did take uh, many times as a bishop in Fifth Sunday lessons and stuff to teach that and to, to help people understand that things like that, in the grand scheme of things, it's just a culture thing. Johnny does not have to go uh, to scout camp. Culture, you're questioned on your righteousness where you sit in the chapel, meaning you're more righteous if you sit closer to the front, or the amount of kids you have or don't have. That's just our weird culture. If you're single, you are looked at differently, which you absolutely should not be. These are just cultural things that we have to get better at. And again, there's a spot for everybody in the pews, in the chapel, whether you're just, your testimony is super small, or maybe you don't even know if you have a testimony. You should feel welcomed uh, being in the chapel and okay not having the testimony that your bishop has. That should be okay and acceptable. Sometimes... Um, it seems like it is, is not. If you're living in a stressful 
church. If your membership to you is stressful right now, you're overwhelmed, you feel like you can't do it all, you feel guilty that you didn't reach out to sister so-and-so, whatever you're feeling, you need to reevaluate what you're doing in the gospel, in my opinion, and make a change. Everybody needs to live in the gospel in a healthy way to them. And that's not the same as the bishop, the Relief Society president, the people that do everything all the time. Nothing wrong with that, but that doesn't mean it has to be you. And that's why I go back to that stake president, uh, that stake conference analogy, when everybody pushes their favorite thing, mission president, temple president, stake president. You don't have to come out of that building and feel guilty because you don't do all of those things. You don't have to do any of those things. You can, you might be like the super person at something else in the gospel that's important, and that's important to you. There's a time, there's a season, and sometimes it might be temple work for you, and that's what you focus on. Sometimes it might be missionary work for you, that's what you focus on. Sometimes it might be just family, and you put everything else on the shelf, and that's what you focus on. Live the gospel in a healthy version for you individually. Stop comparing yourself to the bishop. Stop comparing yourself to other people that do everything and think that doing everything is the only way to live the gospel. It is not. Do what is comfortable for you. Now, I don't mean go to the chapel and light up a cigarette because that's comfortable for you. I mean, I, I just, I know the extreme the other way. I'm not saying that, but live the gospel in a healthy way. Here's why I say this. When I studied the ex-members for about a year and a half, I lived in their world, I asked them questions, I read everything they had problems with, and the overall, what are the overall uh, feelings that they had uh, was the guilt that they felt as members of the church. And I'm just stumped by that because I've never felt that guilt. And as I got into that and I I looked at it and asked questions and and I would see this pattern over and over again. Oh, I'm so glad now that I'm out of the church because I don't feel guilty about not going to the temple. I don't feel guilty about not doing my calling. I don't feel guilty about not calling my ministering families. I don't feel guilty because I stopped paying tithing. I don't feel guilty that I didn't go to church every Sunday. And they actually feel better about themselves out of the church because I say, that's why I say they did not live a healthy version in the church. They were trying to do too much. They, they were doing things for the wrong reasons, whatever. I've never felt guilty being in the church. For example, uh, temple work. I used to be a temple uh, worker. Um, and when my wife and I were first married, we realized that, hey, we're gonna have kids someday. When all that happens, temple attendance and everything, careers, is just going to kind of, temple's going to take a kind of a backseat probably just out of, of life. So we went to the temple quite a bit when we were first married and single because we knew that would change. Now, do we feel guilty that we don't go as much as we did when we were single? No, nor should you. Um, just the, the culture, look at where you're at in the gospel, look how you feel, and change things if you're not happy with where you're at. 
Again, culture, you cannot say no to a calling. I hope this changes someday. I believe we should have callings, don't get me wrong, but I believe there's a time and season for that as well. One of my favorite church calling examples is when I was in the bishopric and the bishop said, go call sister so-and-so to be the primary pianist. Okay, bishop, I'm on it, I'll do it this week. And because the bishop said, go call this sister be the primary pianist, I'm not gonna question whether she is a pianist or not because I figure the bishop has already thought that out, done that, I get to the woman's home, I would like you, the bishop has asked me to call you to be the primary pianist, will you accept that call? She chuckles a little bit and she says, yeah, I would love to, can you give me a few years to learn how to play the piano? And I'm like, oh, wow, you don't play the piano? No, not a lick. Okay, that's interesting. Have no idea why the bishop asked me to tell you to be the primary pianist, but I'm glad you're saying no to that calling. Now that's an extreme example of when to say no to a calling, but there are times, and I know our church says you should never turn down a calling. I get that. The traditional culture says you should never turn down a calling. There are times when you should. Only you know when that is. And if you do that, do not feel guilty. You're doing it, if you're doing it for the right reasons, uh, don't, please don't feel guilty about it and, and say no and move on. Maybe even make a suggestion, uh, this is what I can do at this time in my life. The reason I say that is every brethren that comes in and gives any member a calling really should sit down and, and find out if in that member's life are they capable to even do that calling. But most of them don't. I mean, I've been there. Bishop Ricks, bishops, you just assume, hey, we've decided you need to do it, yes or no. And they really should sit down and say, is this going to affect you? Is this going to mess up your family time, your college time, your work time, we're not here to strain you as a member and make things tough. We're not here to make it easy because Mormons, we don't do anything easy. We, we don't believe in that. We've got to do everything hard. So I, I wish the culture would change a little bit and say, here's a calling we would like you to do and, and actually make sure that the member is capable. My own example, High Council called me once uh, for a calling, said we'd like you to be a stake missionary. And at this time, stake missionaries, uh, I think you committed to 10 hours a week of missionary service of some sort, whether it's a meeting, tracting, working with the missionaries, 10 hours a week. And there were several meetings uh, that you had to attend. And I looked at the, uh, the High Counselor and I said, well, uh, knowing that, hey, we're not supposed to turn down callings, and he didn't ask me, all he said is, we want to call you this, are you willing to do it? And so I said, well, let me, let me discuss some things with you. I'm, I'm, I work full time, I'm a part-time student, I have four kids at home, and I'm starting a second job. I know what it takes to be a stake missionary. I have done it before. If you're willing for me to only do five hours a week or the most I can, you know, all these stipulations. Uh, then I will accept the call 
under those circumstances. But if you want me to do 10 hours, expect me to be at every meeting like a typical state missionary, I'm going to have to pass. And to me, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, absolutely nothing wrong with that. And but some members look at, oh, my gosh, you said you said no, you questioned it. You should feel guilty. You should be ashamed, you know, all that kind of stuff. No, I don't agree with it. And he still called me the calling. I accepted the calling under those uh, conditions. I think it's okay, my opinion, it's okay to have those conversations when you're getting uh, those types of calls. Our culture says just say yes to everything, don't question it. I'm saying that's fine if you're living, if, if it's not making you feel guilty, if it's not stressing you out. We all know the member that's super stressed out because they can't say no, they try to do everything and they're going to explode someday. We shouldn't, that shouldn't be a goal of ours to see how much we can do before we explode. Uh, not, not a good thing. So our culture, just look at things a little different and know that a lot of, as you, if you go into church history, a lot of the issues that ex-members have is truly with the culture but they think it's the church or they think it's the gospel. For example, well, uh, the apostles said that they saw Jesus. Oh, when did they say that? Oh, well, they said they were a special witness. Oh, okay, I didn't take that as they said they saw Jesus, but clearly you did. And did you read something that now thinks in your mind that they don't see Jesus, so therefore the apostles lying over the pulpit at general conference and that's why you have a problem with it? Yes. Okay, well, if you look at it like I do, and he's just saying, I'm a special witness because I've been taken away from my normal job and, and career and have now devoted the enti my entire life until I die working in, uh, the, in the church to testify of Jesus Christ as a special witness. That's what I would call a special witness. I never put that as, hey, he just said he saw Jesus, and, um, and so I don't see how some members kind of take that. But, uh, and, and we can talk about that. I don't think any of the apostles have seen Jesus, um, but that's okay. To me, that doesn't change anything about the validity of the church, the, you know, anything like that. None of the apostles I know have ever said they've seen Jesus. They've they say they're special witnesses and members go, oh my gosh, they've seen Jesus. No, they haven't. Probably not. Uh, the church history that I've read, uh, really, really, really good chance none of them seen Jesus. And that's okay. Doesn't change anything. The church is still true. This is the restored gospel. Uh, Joseph Smith saw God and Jesus. That's all you got to worry about. Anyways, so please live the gospel in a healthy way for you. There's a time and seasons for everything. If you can do it all and be happy, then do it all and be happy. If you can't for a season, then don't for a season and don't feel guilty about it and come to church and enjoy the blessings of the church in a way that you feel uh, peace and happiness and don't get wrapped in, up into this I have to do everything and I'm stressed out and the church is stressing me out to a point where you got to leave to feel peace. That is the wrong way to go. 
Um, uh, so please, please watch yourself on that. And if you know anybody that has that issue, uh, send them to the podcast or share what you uh, thoughts and, and feelings you've had from this podcast to help them out because we really, really need to live the gospel in a healthy way. Being on the covenant path, I would guess most members think you're doing everything. My attitude of being on the covenant path is means you're somewhere as in you've been in the church for one day or your gospel knowledge and devotion is like President Nelson. The path is in between both of those extremes. And as long as you're on that path, you're good as gold. Thanks for joining.